All right. Well, welcome back to Sheep Stuff You Should Know. Almost a weekly podcast. Not been weekly here for a bit, but uh, I'm Dan Macon in Northern California, where the sun is shining, amazingly enough. And I'm joined today by my friend Kat Herbikite from Wyoming, where I think maybe the sun is shining as well. Right? The sun is shining. It's doing its best to melt some snow. Um, and I'm hopeful that it can continue, but who knows? <laughs> I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this thing that we keep hearing about called spring. I'm really worried here in California that we're going to go from winter. We'll have about four days of spring and then it's going to be 95 degrees, which is kind of how we've been lately, it seems like. And then you could have uh, flooding, I take it, with the snowpack that you guys got this winter. My word, the snowpack is amazing. I, I drove up um, to look at the high country where we've been doing some guard dog stuff last week. And uh, you can't see the top of the corral post right now. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. How much yeah. snow on the ground there? We have about um, two feet on the flat here. Um, and uh, it is in the, it looks like we're supposed to get up to like 47 degrees today. So the melt is on, but it's it's just going really slow. Um, this has been a really severe winter for um, most of Western Wyoming. You know, um, a lot of the domestic sheep herds, the range, range herds, they actually had to truck them off of the grazing allotments in Southwest Wyoming and put them back on home ranches and truck in a lot of feed um, from other states just because the conditions were so severe and couldn't even get to the herds to get feed to them or anything. So they used a lot of track vehicles and stuff like that to get them trails out to a you know a paved road to get them loaded onto semis and move so oh. but um some of that some of that desert country is now opening back up again so now there are there's been four sheep trucks that went by us today um t- taking them back south so yay the sheep are going to be happy because up here you know you have to uh, plow your feed line and then turn your sheep out onto it and the sheep are unhappy without being able to range around oh yeah you know oh yeah so i can I, yeah. I was talking to some friends last night who um have cattle cattle and, and goats up in northwestern california and they get a couple of snows every year you know stays around for two or three days the uh beginning of march they had four feet of snow mm. they've been having to feed bulls on the county road yearlings on the county road because it's the only place that was open enough to get hay to them just yeah then a, so what all this like, all this complaining about drought and wild, wildfires we've been doing i guess um we've been um we had a response to all that this winter <laughs> <laughs> careful what we wish for oh exactly <laughs> okay you've been asking for it here you go <laughs> here you go are you guys lambing right now no, we don't start lamb until about the 20th of May, um, because you know, even even though we're at a lower elevation at that point, you know, we trail onto our lambing ground out here on the desert. Um, we still get a few snows during lambing um, yeah. at that time, but you know, it's kind of the happy medium there. We'll still get snowed on a little bit, but it's actually pretty nice and warm. And as long as the ewes are in good condition, those lambs will get up and get nursing. And I'd rather have that little bit of cold temperature than too hot when trying to lamb here anyway absolutely absolutely the the handful of times we tried to fall lamb in our in our country it was way too warm i'd much rather have them deal with a little bit of wet a little bit of wind than hot and dry and yeah 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 Yeah. so remind me where in wyoming exactly are you um the home place is about a hundred miles south of Jackson Hole. Okay. So it's western. We're also about a hundred miles north of Rock Springs. Okay. Um, out, okay. out of the brush in between. So we're right where the desert meets the mountain. So yeah, good sheep country. Good right. sheep country. And all all fine wool. It's sheep. really good sagebrush. Yes. Okay. Yep. All just uh, commercial ramble. Yep. 
Yeah. They do well, really well in this country. I probably most people who listen to our podcast, at least from this country, have heard your name and and seen you at ASI or seen you around. But uh, you're you're kind of the person that I look to 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 really learn about livestock guardian dogs because you've been around them and and thinking about them and studying them for so long. Um, and I, I wanted to to kind of start with just a, a real basic question. When did you first get interested in, in livestock guardian dogs and what kind of what sparked that interest for you, Kat? Um, my uh, a, a good friend who uh, who was actually my mentor because I didn't grow up with sheep or anything. Um, I was actually a newspaper reporter writing about grizzly bears and things like that. And when you write about grizzly bears and Sublet County, I was fresh out of high school. And um, when I was writing about grizzly bears, well, then I had to write about the domestic sheep flocks that the grizzly bears were eating in Sublet County. And so um, I, in doing that, I met the flock owner, Bill Toman, and uh, and Bill, um, he passed away years ago, but he was, he was really, really good to me and, and very upfront when I interviewed him and everything, trying to get the story right. And uh, pretty much once, once it, we had gone through the grazing season, they brought the sheep off the mountain. Um, the next year, the next spring, he uh, called me up and said, hey, you know, you did a pretty good job with your reporting, but um, you, you don't know what it's like. And I want you to come and I'm going to give you some um, bum lambs. <laughs> and uh, he gave bum lambs. And, and uh of course, you have to bottle feed those babies, put them, put them on your lap. And I took one looking deep into those beautiful eyes on a Rambouillet lamb and fell madly in love. <laughs> and I um, brought I brought a few of those lambs home. And then another friend of mine, sheep producer, Pete Arambell, um, he uh, he gifted me a guard dog puppy. He says, now that you have sheep, then you have to have something that guards them. And so he, those are the two that actually started me in the sheep industry and with livestock guardian dogs. So, what what kind of dog was it? What what breeds? Um, it was a it was a Pyrenees cross puppy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like was a that? Pyrenees. Um, decades, decades ago. <laughs> I'm. I don't. I don't. I have no idea how long ago that was. <laughs> decades ago but yep. um but, yeah uh, but and that is uh that is what that's what we started with and then we got um a few great pyrenees dogs after that and then yeah. you know as we've shifted around and our and our outfit has grown um from more of a, a farm flock to a range flock and and uh moving with the seasons and everything and then moving into where we you know our Predator populations have really thrived in recent years, and we have uh, have to deal with a lot of large carnivores now. Um, so we've shifted our guard dog program over the years in response to that. You know, with the breeds that we use. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always been curious, and and when you read about guard dogs in this country, the the name Ray Coppinger comes up, um, mm -hmm. and and there are. Um, accounts that that he kind of introduced guard dogs into this country but i suspect that there were lots of guard dogs out in the country before anybody really talked about it much how, how long have guard dogs been used in your part of the world um in your, in your um well so prior to ray's project um there there were guard dogs in use here but i mean he he definitely boosted um, the guard dog population in the United States and, and the popularity as, as did a few others, um, you know, either um, university projects or um, USDA yeah, um, right. at one time as well. So be between, between kind of the academic side and the government side that, that really helped to spread, but um, really when, um, predator when the use of uh widespread use of poisons to control predators on public land ended in 1972 that was really um the the point in time i think that guard dogs started becoming um critically necessary you know i think that 
they'd been used in some areas off and on, you know, some people had traditions, some, you know, we still have a lot of people that are associated with the old country um, in Europe. And, you know, they had brought um, herding dogs and guardian dogs with them in the, in the process of coming here um, and taking care of their flocks. So, um, but, you know, and now it's guard dogs are everywhere. It's um, everybody seems to, seems to want one, whether they have uh, five chickens or <laughs> five sheep or whatever. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I want to come back and, to that. To, to that yeah. They're wonderful. We, yeah. we know this. Yep. Yeah, 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 absolutely. What what kinds of predators um, and how how has the predator population and, and kind of mix changed in your time there in Wyoming? Well, we went from coyotes were our everyday predator, um, you know, that they were just a constant thing. And um, and probably what sets us apart from other areas is that we don't have a we don't ever have problems with dog depredation on on our domestic sheep flocks we're just so it's so remote and so um and the climate is not real inviting and so i think that any dogs that get dropped off or or stray aren't going to survive here you know so we so we don't that's never an issue for us but then um our wolf population um has done a bit of fluctuating and um there are some years that Wolves are our everyday predator when it used to be coyotes. Yeah. And knock on, um, I've had a almost a year of calm. And uh, when it comes to wolves, and that's, I think, about to end from what I've been hearing from my neighbors. But, um, and then uh, both our, you know, our black bear population is doing really well. We also have a very healthy mountain lion population. We have uh, we have bobcats here too. Bobcats are rarely ever a problem, um, and then uh, we get an occasional grizzly bear here too. Also, so you know our bear population continues to expand. But fortunately, even though um, grizzly bears are federally protected as a threatened species in this area, um, there has been a pretty widespread acknowledgement by federal officials that they don't want grizzly bears in this major sheep domestic sheep production area that we live in you know they they realize the two are not compatible and wolves so, are no longer federally listed is that correct right they they are a state a state species now they've been delisted in wyoming we live about 10 miles outside of the area um where it's the wolf trophy game area where you have to have uh you know, there are set seasons for taking a wolf. You have to have a hunting license. Um, there's a quota that once so many wolves are taken from any area, then the hunting shuts down. Well, that trophy wolf hunt area is the seed population for where I live, where you can actually um, legally kill a wolf at any time for any reason or no reason. You don't have to have a license. There's no quota. They're just, they're treated as predators, just like coyotes. So, but in reality, what that means is that those wolves are um, in our area are hunted year round by sportsmen who really want to take a wolf, Yeah. you know? And so they get a lot of hunting pressure. Um, they're highly nocturnal. They, um, they don't behave like a fully protected uh, wolf population does. That's an interesting question that, that comes up here in California a lot about whether human presence is as effective where there's no consequence of the human presence. Um, and, and I would suspect that there's there, it's more effective there where there's a consequence to being close to humans. Absolutely. You know, we even when we have a pack of wolves around us all the time, you know, we have game cameras set up throughout the ranch as part of our monitoring system that we've established. And uh, about the only time we ever get pictures of wolves is between midnight and 4 a.m. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's when they're, yeah, um, pretty, it's pretty darn rare to see one in the daylight. Um, because, you know, I, I think they learned that if anyone sees them, that someone, there's going to be bullets flying their yeah, direction. Right, 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 right. <laughs> not, 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 not a good thing. For them. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and it was, it was uh, almost 30 years ago and wolves were uh, federally protected that we actually had wolves came into our sheep pens and into our yard and ran around in my yard and through our corral and everything. And they were fully federally protected at that time. And that's the, we actually chased them with a pickup truck um, to try to try to haze them away from the house and everything, you know, so mm -hmm. they, they do understand the difference um, when, uh, when they're protected or when they're persecuted. Yeah. Right. They know. Right. They're, they're amazingly intelligent animals in lots of ways. You bet. So you mentioned that, that kind of as they became your everyday predator, your, um, the type of dog you needed evolved too. What, how did that, how did that change? And, and where did you go to find dogs that would, that would work with that? So, you know, we, we started with the Great Pyrenees and Great Pyrenees are just the loveliest dog. They are, they're the sweetest dog, um, you know, and, and it's no wonder they're so popular, yeah. um, you know, yeah. because, you, you know, they're, they, they're very, very sweet, but I actually saw um, one of, a, we had a big Great Pyrenees stud dog and I actually saw him have a confrontation with a coyote on the edge of our flock. And this coyote, um, he wouldn't let the coyote come into the flock. And, and he just stood there woofing at the coyote and I'm running that direction, jumping up and down, screaming, bite it, bite it, bite it, kill it, kill it, kill it. And, and he wouldn't do anything. But um, when that coyote start, finally started attacking him, um, that coyote jumped at his throat and grabbed, grabbed onto the mane of his throat. And he would just put a paw and flip that coyote um, <laughs> and just flipping down, you know, just knocking off and flipping. But he would not bite him and wouldn't kill him. Yeah. And it's like this went, on, this went on too long. It was a really, it was a great dog, a devoted guardian, but he wouldn't actually... Um, he wasn't aggressive enough. And the yeah. thing was, is that coyote kept them busy and coyotes, you might only see one, but they're rarely alone. They live in family groups, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. um, and, and so it was at that point, so it was actually prior to wolves that I realized that I wanted a more aggressive dog. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. we started using more Akbosh because Akbosh, I guess I view Akbosh as more the middle of the road dog, you know, where great Pyrenees are pretty soft. Um, yeah. and Akbosh still have that sweetness, but, um, they are a little bit more aggressive, but then, um, we were using the Akbosh and I just, I love those dogs. Um, they're just such a great combination of characteristics that I like, but then we started having too many of our dogs being killed by wolves. Oh yeah. And yeah. it's, and it's like, okay, what do, what do we do here? So um, we actually did a lot of research um, on our own. And with, uh, actually, we, my husband and I um, received a grant from the Wyoming Animal Damage Management Board to, to really do an assessment um, of different dog breeds around the world, um, guardian breeds and how they're used. And we looked at things like um, if there were very many reports of dogs that of these dogs that were biting humans, then we kind of eliminated them from our study. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, there were there were other dogs that um, that sounded pretty good. We liked the we you know we liked the reports that we were hearing from um, sheep producers. But then we would find that for whatever reason that those those dogs were pretty rare, or else they were in a conflict zone in another country, like mm -hmm. any any area that has the last name of Stan <laughs> or, you know, Stan, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, because um realize that some of these cultures, some of these people have had livestock guardian dogs at the side of them and their flocks for thousands of years. So they have, they've developed some great dogs, you know, um, that they, that they move with. So, but we, uh, we went through and, we ended up picking about four different breeds that we that we really liked. Um, the Spanish Mastiff was one. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The Bulgarian Karakachan is another, and that's actually a, a rather it's a little bit of a smaller livestock guardian dog. Really um, athletic though, right? They're they're really active dogs. Yeah, 
very, yeah. very athletic. Um, and what we liked about them from the area that we were in with them in Bulgaria, they also have brown bears and wolves. Oh, so okay. it's really kind of the more of the situation that we're faced with here yeah. in in this area of Wyoming or this area of the Rockies. So um, those dogs are very effective against bears, especially. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we, of course, like the Turkish Kangal. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's another fantastic dog. But the, and the Transmontano Mastiff, um, which is another European breed. Um, but uh, we're interested in, and really heard good reports about all of those dogs that a lot of literature review and gray literature of, among uh, Aboriginal dog groups things like that, as well as uh, pastoral peoples. But um, we ended up with, for our situation, for our ranch, um, because of the pressure that we were having from wolves, um, that became our overriding thing. Then, then we made a personal decision that uh, we were gonna use Central Asian of Charcas. Okay. And, um, and so those, the dogs that um that we've used of that breed came out of russia and tajikistan oh, okay and uh yeah and there's a there's a risk whenever you're bringing in dogs from other countries you know um especially from from central asia is that there there is uh some different lineages of those dogs and some of those dogs are used as fighting dogs you know um really? Yeah. Yes, they yes they can guard livestock, but they can. Some of those are taken out and really um, bred. They're trying to produce bigger dogs, and some of them want estate dogs that are mean dogs, which of course is not a good fit for what we're doing with public lands livestock grazing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so and um, and we we like those dogs. Those are definitely dogs that are on the harder end of the scale. If you have Pyrenees on the softer side, these Obcharkas are on the harder side. Um, and there are some of those dogs that, that we've raised that we've used here that I, I wouldn't take onto public lands, um, even though they're excellent guard dogs um, for protecting the sheep from predators. Um, I wouldn't want a hiker to stumble into our sheep herd and try to pick up a baby lamb and have a reaction right. from a few of those dogs. You know, so I mean, you know, it's it's hard. You have to you have to weigh all that out. But honestly, um, some of the best dogs that we've had ended up being the Akbosh of Charka crosses. Those really? are actually my favorite dogs. You know? Yeah. And so it's funny because, you know, purebred breeders might cringe to hear this. I, I understand what they're trying to do, preserve lineages and everything. All I'm trying to do is survive with good working dogs that work for us in this environment, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, they seem to get the more of the Avchark or the Avcharka's heart and willingness to take on um, the predators, but uh, still retain a bit of that sweetness from the Akbosh, you know. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. I, I, I want to talk a little more about that in a second, but I'm I'm really fascinated by the idea to to go to another place and and work with these pastoral cultures. You know, I, I would imagine that that every place where there are sheep producers, there is a reluctance to embrace outsiders, just like there is here. You know, we're we like to talk amongst ourselves, but we're we sometimes, if somebody comes from the outside, it takes a while for them to prove that that we should talk to them too. How did you go about that? How did you how did you embrace those cultures? You know, it's it's funny um, because I think I think people were pretty darn open to us because they liked the fact that we were sheep producers coming to talk to other sheep producers, yeah. and they they um, they seemed to um respect that what we were doing is that we're, we're here to learn from you because look we're, we're trying to do the same thing and struggling and what can we learn from you yeah and um yeah. you know and it's funny because i have a a jacket that it's been with me around the world and it has uh some rambolet sheep um embroidered on the front of it and that thing um, <laughs> people see that <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. and then 
um, the fact that I've written a kid's book about livestock guard dogs and then took copies of that book with me and handed those out, then they could see our sheep yeah. and our dogs and how we do things. And it's amazing to me that we, um, no matter where we've been in the world, um, we always find similarities with other sheep producers or livestock producers, you know, that are running guard dogs. We have more in common. Yeah. You know, even if we're on different, it's different religions, skin color, language, all of that, we still have so much more in common. And so, and uh, yeah, that's, I should say that Jim and I, my husband and I, um, the only time that we can ever leave the ranch together, we leave, we leave big time. We go on an international trip. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, we save up all vacations and then we and then no one is allowed to call us and tell us what's going on or what went wrong. <laughs> Don't you what can't. Gone, you yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. know do you know a, a guy in out here in California named Martin Echemendi? Have you met Martin? Yes, I have. Yep. Martin told me a story about going to the World Shepherds Congress, I think in the late 80s, early 90s. And it was kind of the same thing. He said, we all spoke, we, there were Russians and Iranians and Afghanis and <laughs> South America um, shepherds. And he said, we all spoke different languages, but we all understood one another. And I think yeah. that's, that's true of sheep people, right? That's it true. is. And it's funny. Um, everybody also knows what Ivamac is. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what. <laughs> the universal language <laughs> it is, it is. yep heard that's that funny. all over the world that's funny <laughs> yeah so you know if you're if you're picking out a pup for your your particular situation what do you look for what what where do you start and do you start with a pup um that's a terrible question to ask me. A terrible <laughs> question. <laughs> because every everybody knows that uh well, it's funny because I've got veterinarians and sheriff's departments within about a hundred miles that will call whenever there's a stray guard dog somewhere or someone has picked them up, and it doesn't matter whether it's a pup or an adult dog, because they know that I'm gonna go and get it, you know. Um and so I've actually worked with, uh, I have to say that when I pick a dog, it is pretty much a random thing. It is just whichever, whichever dog strikes me. I do have, I don't, um, I thought I never had color preferences in dogs because, you know, we've used these off charcas and some of them, um, some of them are kind of a red tint. Some of them are brownish blonde. Some have slick hair, some have long hair. And then we actually had a lineage of black dogs, of black obchurkas um, that were really good guard dogs, but I'd had to get rid of all of those because we have so many black wolves and we oh. have people yeah. that I actually, uh, one day um, during a hunting season, when we had a hunting season for wolves here years ago, I actually had to spend all of one morning driving back and forth on the county road where I had a flock near the near the road um, because people were stopping and putting their guns up that there were these black things out there with the sheep and it's like those are guard dogs yeah you know yeah. and it's just they they look too similar yeah um so I've had to get away from that but it's funny because um when we've gone to other countries um we've talked to producers sheep producers that sheep producers tend to want their guard dogs to be the same coloration as their sheep, right. which I, which I'm always entertained by, you know, <laughs> um, and there's a lot of the sheep, you know, but, you know, and I've also talked to some producers in Spain that once, uh, once a wolf pack, a pack of black wolves comes and hits their herd of sheep, then those sheep no longer trust their black guard dogs and they've had to switch yeah. them out they just won't settle down around them you know so there is a 
and a kind of a psychological effect on the on the yeah. sheep flock when that stuff happens. But but I do um, I do really like to have pigmentation around the eyes and the noses um, right. of of the dogs. I don't like them to have uh, they can have a little bit of droop around the eye, but not much. Um, right. You know, and that's it's mostly just potential health issues with that. But otherwise, um, it's just whichever whichever dog I just seem to click with at the time. You know, yeah, right. I guess right. I also like. I also, you know, I'm the person that has a dog named Harriet the Horrible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let me ask that question a different way then. Okay. How would you suggest that a person new to guard dogs select a dog for their operation? What things, what things should they look for? Well, um, I think it's important, uh, first and foremost, that dogs come from working lineages. Yeah, you know, and so, um, and of course, you're going to want to look for a for a healthy pup. But um, I think people should really try to evaluate what it is that they're actually wanting out of a guard dog. What kind of behavior they think they want? Yeah, um, because some people um, would not want a more a more aggressive dog they would really rather have that sweet end and you know and one of the things and i call it aggressive behavior and maybe it, maybe that's not the best word for it maybe it's just more bold behavior and sometimes that can be a friendly behavior and mm -hmm. um and of course as a as a range producer that uses public lands that can bite us in the butt as well right, right. because if they're too friendly want to rescue them right right you know because we have a lot of a lot of people come to hike in this area um you know we're right out we're three miles outside the bridge of wilderness so we get a lot of uh a lot of people from all over the place that come to hike and they see these dogs and you know and they think that they need rescued and they don't so um so sometimes that shire dog yeah so sometimes that shire dog may be um really a good fit um for what you're after they're shy they want to be in the middle of their flock yeah. and um and that's a that's a, a very specific type of of dog that would work well for a lot of people we're um you know we we migrate with the sheep so our dogs um are going into new country and new situations every year i mean we go back to some of the same areas not necessarily every year but um you know, so we need dogs that are willing to be out there in the front and on guard, you know, on the sides and uh, and kind of taking over the territory as we go. So, um, but we have, I actually like to have somewhat of a mix mm -hmm. in, in our dog. Yeah, I really do. Um, I like to have a mix of ages in right. dogs and males and females, Right. you know, um, right. and it's always, it's always helpful when you're when you're raising pups or bringing um, young dogs along, adolescent dogs, if you've got a few um, full adult dogs that can help them learn the ropes and kind of show them what it is they're supposed to be doing yeah, and not yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, that Even at our, our very small scale, it's been really helpful to have an experienced dog teach that juvenile dog. Here's how you, here's how you act around a lamb and you, for example. And it's, yeah. You know, <laughs> to the outside world, it looks like this dog's being very benevolent. The, the older dog is just knowing there's afterbirth coming. But but I think that really helped. <laughs> it's a timely correction that that we couldn't be there to give necessarily. You know? It is, you know, and it's uh, it, it's great, especially as those dogs grow up with uh, with a set of ewes or something that even the ewes will help raise those pups yep. and discipline those pups. Yep. You know? And, um, and so I think everybody kicking in there, that's why I really like, I, I like having the mix, the mixture. And I know that some people don't like to deal with intact, um, livestock guard dogs, but, but I don't mind that at all. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's just a, it's just, Another thing that we have to manage for, um, but we try to keep enough dogs around that we can put a dog in the kennel at the ranch um, for a while, you know, a few yeah. weeks until the, 
the dangers has passed and <laughs> and um we can also see um which ones we want to produce pups from or not you know we do almost everything that we have now is, is spayed right now i'm trying to figure out what i'm doing with the breeding program next <laughs> you know um yeah so you know but um even you know, and it's funny because I've talked to producers in other countries and a, a lot of producers in other areas of the world don't like having, um, they don't like having spayed or neutered dogs. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, even those people that discount that, well, that's, you know, that's 70% or 80% of, of the dog, you know, um, they'll still say, of course, that's still better than than no guard dog. Yeah. You know? yeah. But uh, I think it's just a personal preference. But I like having puppies. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I definitely <laughs> like that part of it. Hey, you mentioned you talked about the you, uh, you will help train a pup too, and I, you know, I think there's a lot <laughs> in the in kind of the pure science approach that bonding's all on the dog. You got to get the dog to behave and you got to get the dog to bond. But it seems like in the real world, the livestock have to meet us halfway. They got to be bonded too, don't they? They've got to accept the dog. You bet. It's a relationship. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And uh, and the, the use will become just as bonded to the dog as the dog is to them. And, you know, our... Uh, our sheep want the dogs with them when they go out. Um, it it settles it settles the sheep and makes them more relaxed. You know, yeah. once they're used to having a guard dog, you know there is a you do when you start with a naive sheep flock, you do have to do a kind of a slow introduction and let them yeah let them get used to understanding what the dog is, especially if you've been using herding dogs like you and I both do. Yeah, exactly. you know when exactly. when you have a dog. It's it's like no, this thing is not there to move you. <laughs> you it's, know? it's yeah, exactly. And, and I I this really hit home for me last year. We were putting putting GPS collars on the dogs that were going in the high country, and my daughter Emma and I were standing outside the corrals as they were bringing this band in to ship the next day, and the sheep didn't know us, and sheep did what sheep will do. They stopped and said, "No, we're not coming in the corrals." And then the male guard dog that was with that band came up and sniffed at us and walked into the corral. And by golly, the sheep were fine with it then. But it's just yeah, in that interplay, I think, is really fascinating to me that that they rely on each other. They really do bond with one another. They well, they really do. What are some of the the ways that you've troubleshoot? kind of problem behaviors what what kinds of things do you do and is there ever a time when you say this dog's not going to work for me absolutely um so we uh we're in a major uh wildlife migration route um for we get antelope mule deer those are those are really the the two we also have elk and stuff but um so we we have to be really careful um, that our dogs do not chase big game animals like that. Mm -hmm. um, they're allowed to, um, you know, we will feed them in our uh, haystack yard in the winter. We actually do that on purpose so that they will keep the other animals from coming in to eat our hay. Yeah. But um, so they're allowed to keep them off of that off of there, but they're not allowed to chase them. And so, but sometimes that, uh, that desire is just awfully strong. There's something about when the mule deer does a sprawling, 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 jumping through that just sets the dogs off. <laughs> and so we uh, we use uh, drag chains, um, and they're they're about two foot long, pretty pretty heavy chain. Not not log. They're not logging chains. They're you know, and we don't attach them to anything. It's just enough. Um, they're long enough when the dog runs, they'll get tangled up in it. It'll whoop them um, on the front legs a little bit and settles them, settles them down. And yeah. uh, and we do that during the major part of the migration here when, when we have to just uh, and then, you know, once once they calm down, then uh, then we'll do that. We also, you know, 
a lot of guard dog pups will go through their adolescent stage where they're um they're like very bad teenagers that you know <laughs> without supervision they will go and do make all kinds of bad decisions and yeah. when they um when they think that they want to chase or play with a sheep or something like that um then they get to go back into the bonding pen and we usually try to do like yearling rams yeah. is what we'll put in there to um you don't want to put them in with uh something that's going to hurt them you know but um yearling rams are pretty good at reminding the dogs that the sheep are to be respected and, and not to be messed with because they will thump them a little bit when they're bad they don't have a sense of humor about it which which is helpful. <laughs> yeah well but in a way yearling they're kind of on the same mental scale <laughs> as the uh, yeah true true <laughs> same level of, of you know, mature decision making yeah yeah <laughs> so so those are those are our really our two our two major um behavioral things that yeah. that we go through here is the is the the migration issue and then um and it's not that every every pup is going to want to try to play with dogs with um with the sheep or something like that um we have also it's really you know we talk about guard dogs and how um they tend to have certain behaviors but in doing so don't ever discount the importance of the individual personality of the dog as well you know yeah. um yeah. because sometimes there are also people that don't think that you should have two dogs two pups of the same age and raise them together because they'll be dependent upon each other um we have we have seen that where that happens and then we've raised two to, together and completely different and it's just their, their personalities were completely different you know so um you know for every rule that someone has about guard dogs um i can there's usually a guard dog somewhere that will break it for you, <laughs> you know? yeah i i wonder sometimes you know i think on herding dogs, we kind of know that there are people who are especially good at getting those dogs started or, or getting the most out of those dogs. Do you think there's a similar relationship on, on guardian dogs that, that some people are better with their dogs than others? Yeah, probably. Um, I think some people are just more dog people anyway. And then yeah. when you think about Guard dogs and herding dogs are almost polar opposites. Right. Um, right. Guard, herding dogs want seem to want to please you, and guard dogs don't care if they please you. They're <laughs> they don't they're they're independent minded. They're not going to take orders. You know that's that's just not their nature. Um, and uh, they need to be the one that's making the decision, and they seem to know that from the time that they're born. <laughs> right. right. You right. know, and so I always say we try to influence those decisions. Right. You know. Um, yeah. The best we can hope for. <laughs> I I yeah. had a dog one time. I, I swear, if he'd had a middle finger in his front paw, that every time I called his name, he would have used it. But, but he was a great dog. He was exactly the dog I needed. But you don't, yeah. I wasn't going to call Reno and expect him to come, you know? Yeah. But it's, but it's funny. He was exactly the dog that you needed. But see, you go into this relationship thinking that you want something that, that you have a desired outcome or something or a desired expectation. And I think the people that are the most successful with guard dogs are the ones that figure out that it, it is a relationship and that you have a working partnership right. with those dogs and you right. have to change your way of thinking and way of doing things to help that dog be successful in your enterprise, you know, right. and then you're both successful. Right. And uh, sometimes, right. sometimes that's easier said than done. And, and I think you really have to have to study the, the dog, you know, and, uh, yeah. and what it's showing you try to interpret that i think we we've i have done dogs a disservice by talking about them as a predator protection tool it's much more complex than that right it's a it is a relationship it partnership yeah it is yeah 
Absolutely. It is. And even my, even my best dogs um, have things that just make me go, Oh no, you know, but that's just, that's just the way they are. Um, uh, One of, one of our best female uh, livestock guardian dogs, just the most fantastic with the sheep, just absolutely adored her. She did not like us messing with her sheep. We could go out and be on the range with her every day, but when you go to move those sheep and put them in a pen, she would go and stand in the gate and not let the sheep into the pen because she knew that we were going to do something, whether it's shearing them or on trucks. And then when we would, the herding dogs would come up to try to pressure, then she would go and roll those herding dogs on the ground. (laughs) The dogs she grew up with that she saw every day. Yeah. And she just did not like us. Don't mess with my sheep. And so you'd actually have to go get her and put her in a stock trailer to get her out of the way. Perfect dog, but she did not like us messing with her. Yeah. You know. I've got a dog right now. That we, you know, we use a lot of electronet fencing. We're not open range in our operation. Yeah. And when the feed is getting short enough that the sheep behavior changes, that dog will wait for me at the junction between two nets because he knows it's time for them to move. And I, that kind of relationship and and just observation that that he's making and judgment that he's using is just so fascinating to me. I mean, that's, that's something most shepherds don't pay enough attention to, let alone figure their dog's going to watch that. But it's just, it is really fascinating to me. He's telling you that his sheep are not happy and you are to get on this. That is fantastic. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But you know, and it's that, it's that communication thing. And these dogs are great. I think at communication Mm-hmm. Um, and it's us humans that have to keep working harder and harder to interpret what it is they're trying to tell us, you know, but, yeah. um, yeah. and sometimes the dogs are speaking for the sheep. So yeah, they are. That's they great. are. Absolutely. Absolutely. You mentioned at the outset, kind of the popularity of dogs now and that, that everybody's got five chickens in their backyard, wants a guard dog. Is there, are there situations where a guard dog maybe isn't the appro- the most useful predator protection system. Are there places where maybe guard dogs aren't appropriate? Yeah, I think so. Um, if you've got a, you know, if you're fence to fence close with your with your neighbors and you're going to have a barking dog, and yes, guess what? Livestock guard dogs bark. It's in their job description. Um, then it's it's really not such a great idea unless what you're going to lock the your stock up at night and take your dog inside and that's fine that's yeah, fine yeah, as long as you're yeah. not having reasonable expectation for for the dog you yeah, know right. um so um i think uh i think a lot of people think that they need a a livestock guardian dog um we actually um I think in some situations, maybe what they need is just a general farm dog. And it could be a livestock guard dog. You know, they want something, you know, they're out in the countryside. They have kids. They have a few a few animals, um, you know. And I, I think it's a good idea, especially if you live in, in any area of the country that has um, large predators. Um, I think everybody ha- ought to have a big dog, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know. Um, it's a... It's a good thing, but maybe not view them as strictly a livestock guardian dog, just all around farm dog taking care of everything there. You know? Yeah, right, right. And I that, you know, in our our part of the world where we've got a lot of uh, suburban rural intermix like that, the, the barking dog issue comes up frequently um, here. And I I think there's some risk that commercial producers that need dogs will have their access limited because of of people's perception of the nuisance. But I think that also falls on us as producers to explain what the dogs are doing and why they're doing it and, and kind of how the whole system works too. And that we're not very That's good. That's true. And any and all help with that is welcome. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah, definitely. 
because it's it's tough. And then, you know, but I think that some areas of the country are different from from ours, like I said, we don't have um, stray dogs or we don't have, right. and I think that um, areas with higher population densities of humans have people that will let their dogs out in the morning and they will go and take off and get into trouble. Yep. And uh, and you don't want guard dogs to be part of that scenario either because right. that will also, bite, right. you know, so, right. so yeah, it's a, uh, it's tough, but you sure can't blame people for um, having an interest in livestock guardian dogs and wanting to have one. I mean, dogs are our our best companions as humans, and they they offer us um, they they offer us a lot of benefits. And uh, yeah. but I think that as much as I absolutely love our livestock guardian dogs more than anything, I have a lot of respect for them. Um, for the job that they do and this working partnership that um, we have it's an interspecies thing we've got three or four species involved here that are all um, working for the same thing so it's pretty cool it's pretty fascinating it is it is very fascinating and it's I think it's you know neither you or I grew up in the sheep business we've come to it because we love doing it and I think it's really interesting to try to explain to somebody who's only ever had a pet dog what your relationship with your herding dogs and your guard dogs is if you rely on them it's a it's i love i, I love having pet dogs but it's very different having a relationship with the dog you rely on for your livelihood and, and you have that partnership with yeah yep it's uh it's pretty deep so so you've got a book that has come out or is coming out in paperback. Is that right? Yeah, it's uh, it's called Livestock Guardian Dogs. Um, it's a book that was released, I don't know, um, five years ago, something like that, called um, Brave and Loyal, an Illustrated Celebration of Livestock Guardian Dogs. Yeah. And so um, it sold out of the, um, the hardcover copy, and I – it went out of print and I was actually kind of surprised that that had happened, but they had sold everything and I thought that it was done. And then my, the publishing house I worked with um, on the book came back and said, you know, there's still good demand here. How about we re release this as a paperback? And it's like, yay, that means it's less expensive um, for producers. So, um, so yeah, it's been, it's been released as a paperback last week um, with a, with a new title, it's just called Livestock Guardian Dogs now. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, and so it's, uh, but people should know that that is not a how to do things. It's not an instruction manual on how to, um, it is a celebration of guardian dogs and with kind of stories and information about how they're used around the world from yeah. areas that we uh, have been fortunate enough to go into and see and interview people and take pictures of the dogs. Well, yeah. I, I, you say it's not a how-to book, and I, I would agree. I think for those of us that are around dogs, learning through through what you've written about how dogs are started and selected and bred in all these other places is really, really helpful. And and thinking about how we approach dogs in our own operations too, it's a, it's really a fantastic <laughs> book in that regard. I think it's really valuable. <laughs> and I, you know, that that's kind of the. The bigger picture, I think, I think there, there is a desire sometimes to have a recipe for how to do this. And it's a lot more complicated than a recipe, right? It, it is, it is, you know, um, for all the criticism that people like to have of Ray Coppinger, um, whether deserved or not, um, I, he did come up with some very basic things that I think um, we all need to pay attention to. And, and that is the, the importance of that early bonding process yeah. in pups, yeah. you know, um, yeah. and, uh, and that really helps to set the stage for success. But I think, uh, yeah. I think that is one of the most, most critical things, but, you know, we've also, um we used to take um 
a few rescued livestock bird dogs. And it's like, okay, have these dogs ever been around livestock? And um, we've had some pretty entertaining experiences. Ended up with uh, a dog that was bonded to horses, horses only. <laughs> and it's like, okay, an adult dog horses didn't see that one coming but yeah, yeah. you know and found that dog um a good horse owner to <laughs> let it go away with but um and some dogs i think even even you'll have lineages of dogs that have been removed from protecting livestock for five or six generations and you can have pups born into that lineage that uh will still go ahead and take right back to bonding as if that little blip in time didn't occur but um but i think it i think it's um well you and i both know we we learn a lot from our dogs just from that relationship that we have with them and trying to figure out what it is you know there's a reason i don't know if it was bodie that's the one that was telling you um, it that was. it was time to move yeah yeah not surprised yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, he's pretty much a pro yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, and I think I think you make a really good point about the bonding process and about much of what Ray wrote in that regard. And I think what I've discovered is that it's not just the livestock; it's bonding with the place and with the system and with kind of all those external stimuli that are part of my operation. That it would be different than yours. Um, yeah. That they've kind of got to get used to and, and fit into as well it seems like yeah so it's it's not just the bonding with the stock but it's having exposure um to all the things that you want them to know about later on in life yeah. because right. they don't want to develop a fear response or an aggressive response so you know if you're going to have bicyclists on your you know anywhere yep. near your flock then you Probably ought to be riding bicycles and motorcycles and yep. you know and yep. people on horseback and farm equipment and trucks yep um all of all of those things yep. um yeah and so if you expose if you kind of acclimate them to those things so they realize oh that's not a big deal i don't need either need to be afraid or consider that a threat you right. know then uh, right. then it won't be a big encounter later on yeah. so yeah just trying to do those things to set them up for success but you know you and i both know that we learn this stuff through experience it, yeah. it's all trial and error on yeah. on our part you know yeah. um yeah. and sometimes we do something that works and go, oh i did that and it worked and sometimes it wasn't intentional but then you make a note of it so that you'll do that in the <laughs> <laughs> that's part of the real joy for me and working with the dogs is just learning learning every time i go out and and i'm around those dogs you know if you're paying attention yeah. they'll teach you something yeah they definitely yeah what um, all the time yeah yeah exactly every day where can people get the book um that's a good question any any of uh, any bookseller they can they can order the book through if they have a favorite independent bookstore of course it's um also available barnes and noble amazon any of your online retailers but of course i like to support local independent bookstores if possible um I like I to keep things local i love to go in the local bookstore and ask for for ag books too because it helps helps them remember there's still farmers and ranchers in the community as well it's a good thing you bet but thing. um and and there's still um lots of uh public libraries in america that carry my books as well and you yeah. can um request those through your library um instead of just buying one also you know yeah. it's always good to support those as well the library so yeah absolutely, absolutely. very cool well cat thank you this has been really fun it's always for those of you that don't know either one of us, I think the, the time we usually talk is at the ASI convention in January. And this yes. is great to get to actually catch up another time of the year. So thank you very much. Yeah. Very. Well, thanks so much for thinking of me and inviting me on today. And yeah, nice to see your face, even though, you know, it's not ASI. We're not face to face sitting down with a cocktail doing 
the exact same thing that we do now talking about bird dogs. Exactly, exactly. And there's all that's the other thing about dogs. There's always more to talk about. And, and that's right. Uh, always good to catch up. That's right. Yeah. All okay. right. Really good to see you. Great to see you. Have a great rest of the week. And uh, this has been Sheep Stuff You Should Know. And we'll talk to you next time.